Imagine learning in a small group intimate setting while exploring unique European locations. EU Vet CE Experiences offers race-approved CE seminars that combine half-day lectures with time to relax and discover captivating cultures. The CE sessions are delivered in English, allowing you to elevate your career while vacationing with loved ones. Experience the perfect blend of learning and luxury at EU Vet CE Experiences interactive seminars in hand-picked European destinations. Elevate your knowledge and recharge simultaneously. Visit euveterinaryce.com to learn more. It was just a complete knowing and trusting in myself. I just knew I was never going to thrive and I could never make the difference and the impact that I know I'm here to do in that place. We have not improved the overall outcome and mortality rate with cancer greater than 20%. Since the war on cancer started in 1950, we have to do something different. Welcome to Vet Life Reimagined. Imagine creating your own practice, becoming a trailblazer in your field, and redefining the standard of care for veterinary patients. That's exactly what Dr. Kendra Pope is achieving. Hailing from New Jersey, she's not only one of the handfuls of veterinary oncologists in the United States, but she's one of the fewer professionals also deeply trained in holistic approaches like acupuncture and herbal medicine. With these unique tools in her arsenal, Dr. Pope is all about crafting the best outcomes and quality of life for every patient she touches. Dr. Pope's involvement in clinical research, multiple leadership roles, and volunteer work showcase her dedication to pushing the boundaries of veterinary integrative medicine. She leads her own clinical practice called PRISM Integrative Veterinary Health. This episode has One Health, the human-animal bond, finding a bigger purpose, breakthrough options for cancer treatments, and much more. So let's get to the conversation with Dr. Kendra Pope. I start all conversations at our very beginning. So when did you know you wanted to get into veterinary medicine? I wonder if you get the same answer for that question most of the time. And I mean, the answer is always, I was always going to be a veterinarian. (laughs) Yes. More often often than not. Yes. It is a a, a common theme in our our profession. I think we're kind of unique that way. Yeah. Um, But one thing that does change though, is while we always kind of had this idea that we were going to go into veterinary medicine, exactly what that might look like does seem to change over time. So did you kind of going into vet school, did you have an idea of what that would be? And did that change? Oh my God, I did. I was like, I'm going to be a surgeon. (laughs) I was like, yep, I'm going to be a surgeon. I'm going to, you know, do all the surgeon-y things. And I got to vet school and I hated it so much. (laughs) (laughs) So it did change. But I also, to be honest, being an oncologist was always within me from losing my father at a young age to cancer. And so it was just more of accepting that that was my purpose and my mission. And that's the path that I needed to go down. I remember when I told my mom, I had finally decided that I was going to be an oncologist. (laughs) She just like, got this look on her face and she started crying and she was like, why can't you just play with puppies and kittens all day? (laughs) And I'm like, well, first of all, that wouldn't be my life anyways. I'm not going to like professional doggy daycare, you know, (laughs) training, but 
I always knew within me that making a difference in the space of oncology was where I was meant to be. So although I told myself when I got to vet school that it was going to be different, I found my way back to it. Yeah. Now, it also, you were extremely active in, in vet school. It looked like you were part of the student AVMA and also part of what you do is more on the holistic side. And so did that also start in vet school or, or when did that interest kind of come in as well? I think these conversations are really fun because, you know, there's those moments in life that you have where you kind of pause and you turn around behind you and you're like, oh my God, that's why that happened. Or <laughs> holy crap, like that's why that thing that I thought was so terrible worked out the way that it did so I could end up where I am now. And it definitely, I definitely fell down the rabbit hole of other things in vet school. I was at the University of Florida, and that's one of, in my opinion, you know, the most accepting of integrative medicine because they have such a huge curriculum for it. But even in my choice to go to Florida, I feel like there was things pushing me in that direction because what I was able to do while I was there was actually get certified in acupuncture, certified in Chinese herbs, certified in Chinese food therapy, certified in other types of Chinese practices while I was still going to vet school. So I was able to add that to my regular curriculum. So I just learned it alongside the rest of what you know, we were learning as vet school students. So it just was really, you know, normal to me. It wasn't like it was this whole different thing. It was just all of the tools that we were learning. But what first happened that led me down this path was I developed chest pains my second year in vet school, which as you'll remember is the year that we have a million tests and all <laughs> abnormals. And it's very stressful. And you know, I went to the physician, they, you know, ran a bunch of diagnostics. They said, it's just stress. They said, here's your anti-anxiety medication. And so I took the anti-anxiety medication and I promptly fell asleep. <laughs> and then I woke up and was more stressed because I lost all that time studying. And around the same time, we had had an acupuncture wet lab and they were doing a demo. They were showing how acupuncture works. The dog was getting really relaxed, falling asleep. And they were just talking about all of the stress management and anti-anxiety benefits of acupuncture. And so as a diligent little vet school student, you know, I went online and I looked up what kind of published papers were available for helping, you know, chest pain, angina with acupuncture. And there were so many. And so I found a local acupuncturist. I went for my first treatment. And with that first treatment, it was gone. And as long as I went consistently they never came back. And till this day, I still go. And if I fall off the wagon and I forget to go, they'll come back. So that was my like first real personal experience of how these tools are there and are effective and are powerful and can actually be better than the conventional ones in a lot of cases. And that they just need to be discovered and figured out what works for you. Oh, wow. That's, that is fascinating. And I do love that opportunity of exploring different types of studies, especially while you're going through vet school, because it's such a, a curious time where you, you're so open to learning and, and just being able to have those resources around you, I think is, is, is so important. So I'm glad that you got that. And so you ended up, of course, you, you had your internship and then went into your oncology residency. So what, do you just like remember anything special from going through your residency that 
maybe kind of back to your reflecting back on, you know, why things kind of fall into place. Anything special that you remember about your residency that kind of impacted you going forward? A good question. You know, I think that everybody in their residencies, you know, you're, you're disciples of your mentors, you know? And so I think that there's all kinds of isms, you know, from the people who trained me that I still hear in my head and has kind of shaped how I practice clinically, you know, because even though we all, even me and my integrative and holistic practice, we all try to practice evidence-based evidence-informed when the evidence isn't there, that we still take our clinical experience into account. It absolutely shapes how we practice. And so I think that, you know, just some of the isms of the residency, I think, you know, the other thing that I think is really fun about a residency is, you know, you go from being a student where people are always looking over you and you kind of, you know that you'll do that too as a resident, but at the same time, it's like they let go of the reins. And I just remember looking around the room and being like, I need a more adultier adult. I don't want to be the most <laughs> adulty adult at this point. But at some point you just get kicked out of the nest and you have to fly. And, you know, I think that that's my personality. I've always been someone that's just kind of like, let me figure it out. And so I think that even though it was scary at times, because you know they're there if you really screw something up, that I was just like, all right, let me figure this out. I got to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Were your mentors also very, like, did they practice a lot of the alternative medicine as well? Or did you no. find other types yeah, of no. mentorship? They my residency was completely um, conventional. And so, you know, during that time, while I was in my residency, I was actually working at a private practice hospital on Saturdays. And at that point, I was just doing acupuncture and Chinese herbs just to keep myself in practice and to be remembering those things. But I really kept everything completely separate. Like there was Kendra, the acupuncturist, and then there's Kendra, the oncology resident until I finished because, you know, residencies are intense. Like that's your primary job. And so that's what I did. It was my primary focus. But once I, you know, completed the residency, went to work in private practice, that's when I really got to like take both hats, put them on at the same time and kind of bring it all together. Mm. How was that journey? Because there can be some stark divisions between yes. this, you know, very traditional clinical practice and using those integrative approaches. So how was that transition kind of yeah. finding the Kendra method oh my <laughs> going gosh, yeah. forward? You know, I think that there's so many things about early employment and your first job that are so beneficial, not just to find out what you like, but to find out what you don't like. Mm -hmm. And I found out pretty quickly that the typical paradigm of volume-based medicine didn't work for my clients and the way that I wanted to practice. Because so much of what is done in the integrative and holistic space is about the intellectual property and the time that you spend talking to someone and educating them. And when we think of conventional veterinary medicine, conventional oncology, it's about the, the procedures, it's about the treatments that we're doing. That's where the, the finances are based. And so it was a real challenge for me because the corporation that I worked for had certain financial expectations 
that they wanted me to be able to operate my holistic practice the same way I operated my conventional practice. And it just didn't work that way. And so, and, you know, as someone who did a nutrition residency, that's a huge intellectual property specialty. So you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not in our treatments and our procedures. It's in in what we share and the, the plans that we develop and the treatments that we develop and pulling everything together and personalizing it for the patients in front of us. So it was not easy. I found that I was split often. I found that I needed to see clients that had no interest in what I was doing, but that were coming into the service just for the conventional. And so I was really torn into, you know, having to be two separate practitioners in one, and it absolutely did not work. And despite the fact that I learned a lot and was grateful for a lot of things in that first job, it's what prompted me to start my own business. Because I knew that in order to be truly effective and to really be able to make a difference, I was going to have to do it the way that I knew would work better. Yeah. It's one thing to to realize that moment. And then I guess the next one is, okay, now I got to do it. So <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. What was that like? You know, yeah. you realize that, okay, to, to really be true to myself and, and to to do what I feel like I'm supposed to do, I'm going to have to kind of do a lot of this on my own. So yeah. so what was that process like? You know, I wish that like I could, well, I don't actually wish because it's my story and I love it. But, you know, sometimes I'm like, do people expect me to say I made a business plan and had all this strategy and all this planning and all this sensible stuff? For me, it was just a complete, knowing and trusting in myself. And I just needed to get out. And I knew if I didn't, I would die there, you know, figuratively. Like I just knew I was never going to thrive and I could never make the difference and the impact that I know I'm here to do in that place. And so I gave my boss five weeks notice. I had no business plan. I had like nothing in my savings account. It was abysmal. And because I, you know, I'd only been working for a few years And I just found this little tiny space that was like 10 miles away and I opened a practice and very quickly it became very obvious to me how much of a need there was for exactly what I wanted to be doing and how impactful and important it is and how much of a difference it made. And the rest just took care of itself. I mean, it's not without stress and it's been the hardest thing I have ever done, but we'll celebrate six years next month. And we have moved to a brand new facility. I have hired another doctor. We have consulting doctors. Um, we have over a thousand clients, over like 1200 patients. And so it's just been an amazing journey. And it's just been a reinforcement that it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, and you use the term we. So I do firmly believe that when we find the best success is when we do it with others. Yeah. So did you, did you find mentors or people who got, got what you, the vision yeah. What was, how did you kind of collect your we? Oh my gosh. I completely agree with you. The we makes or breaks it. And I think that the we changes because we had a huge shift in staff when we moved to the new building. And it's not because there was bad blood or anything, did anything wrong or anything like that. What I think just happened is the we that got me to the new building wasn't the we that was going to take me to the next chapter. You know, I think it was just that group of women who at that time it was all women and and it was still all women until just recently I made my first male hire. (laughs) Um, (laughs) were meant to kind of carry me to that place and then move on. And 
you know, I think that to be honest with you, that has been the hardest part is finding the mentors, finding the team, because I do think that people are meant for seasons and chapters and not always meant for every part. And so it's a lot of reinventing and finding new people. Like in the beginning, I really consulted with conventional veterinary business owners and mentors, and they were really helpful in the logistics. But then the business got to a point where it was too different. You know, and what they were advising me just wasn't what I needed. So then, you know, I reached to human side, you know, human integrative practices and what that liked. But then that gets to a point where they also aren't exactly right. So it's kind of been like this amalgamation of a little bit of you, a little bit of that, you know, like putting it all together, throw some special sauce in. <laughs> and, and, you know, six months, 12 months, five years from now, it'll probably all be different again. So that's been the hardest part for me because I like consistency. I like to know what this is going to play out so that I can plan. And But being a business owner has taught me that you have to throw all of that out the window. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least willing to accept that yeah. things are going to change. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, exactly. It's just part of it. Yeah. Well, and that, I think that can be the beautiful part of it too. And I think being in this profession and especially like with oncology and and yes I absolutely can relate from a nutrition perspective as well you know each each patient each family that comes with the patient are all going to have different needs and and so I, I definitely hear the as we are changing with technology and all sorts of things the one thing that will always be needed is that human element. And it was yeah. definitely something that I could tell in my oncology rotations. It, there is something special about, you know, oncology. And it is because you really get to know very vulnerable parts of people, Yeah, you know, working with these families who are, you know, just adore their, their pets and you become part of their family. So can you speak to that too? Because I, I think that is yeah. something I would be remiss if I did not get to to talk to you a little bit about working with pets and, and pet families like for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think exactly what you're saying. It's just about how high touch it is. You know, mm -hmm. like I think in other specialties, like let me bring up surgery again, you know, because that was like what I thought I was going to do originally. And ultimately why I decided it wasn't right for me is like that quick gratification and those like quick relationships on one hand are great, right? Because they get to do this exciting stuff and fix stuff all the time. But for me, that more slow burn and long-term relationship is something that I knew I was really good at and that I had a way to connect with people and help them through something that's really difficult. And I think that, you know, internal medicine specialists, oncologists, nutritionists, you know, we're with these patients usually for the rest of their lives. Similarly to how, you know, a lot of general practitioners are, right? They meet them as puppies and they, and they have them till they euthanize them. And so those long-term relationships, some people that that's their calling is to, to be there for those people at that time. And though, although, some people might say, oh, how can you do this all the time? And, you know, isn't this so sad? And I don't understand how anybody could could deal with this day in and day out. I think most oncologists will tell you it's not that way at all, because we're the ones that are able to offer something to help them. 
You know, it would be one thing if we were the ones that were just delivering the bad news and saying that there was no options. That would be horrible to do all the time. But when you're the person that gets to tell them, yes, there is this bad news, but let me tell you about all the things that we can try to make it better. I mean, that's a completely empowering place to be. And so I think that another reason that I have been so drawn to the integrative and holistic space and that I feel so grateful to be here is because I get to say that even more now than I did when I just had my conventional tools. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is hard. I was just having this conversation with an oncologist that's getting into the integrative space. And I said to her, I said, you're never going to regret this decision because I promise you that there will be almost no patients that you will have to say, I can't do anything. There's nothing else that I can do because there's always going to be something that you can try to help them. And so It's a lot of pressure, though, and it's a lot of responsibility. And so the other side of it is you get to be so lucky and so grateful to be in that position, but you also have to understand that every client every day is completely emotionally out of control. And so it does have to have a lot of boundaries, which sometimes people understand and sometimes people don't understand. But in order for me to do this for the rest of my life and to continue to make the impact that I'm here to make, that's what you have to do so that you can show up 100%. That means that you know, there's only certain days of the week I see patients. That means you don't get my cell phone number. That means you can't email me. That means when I'm not in the office, you have to leave a message. And that can be really hard for some people. But that's when you give that much to someone, you have to have that kind of door that closes sometimes. Yeah. So my dad is a child psychiatrist and I've been going to work with him. I promise there's a point here. I've been going to his work with him since I was an infant. And it just always amazed me how good he is at his job and how good he was at being a dad. Like he came home and and he was dad. And, you know, especially as I've gotten older, I would ask him, I'm like, how do you do this, dad? Like you see some, I mean, you see some of the worst, the worst kind of cases. Yeah. How are you able to do this every day? And he did. He said he basically has to check it at the door. Yeah. And I think some people are really good at that, like my dad. And then there's some where it's a little bit harder. But, you know, I, I think... I, I see that across the, the veterinary profession is, is that people keep reminding us about boundaries and we care about what we do. We really care about our patients. We do have these relationships. We get to know our clients for a long time. So how, how were you able to do this? How, how, what are your tips for kind of founding your boundaries? You mentioned like, don't give out your cell phone number and all those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. but, um, no, number one, uh, yeah. but what are, what are some other ways that you have found that you can really embrace, be the best you at work, but then also be able to, to leave at the end of the day and, and come back yeah. the next day? You know, it's really hard and I'm not going to act like I have it figured out for sure because I feel like it's a work in progress every day. And I feel like I've gotten a lot better at it recently. But especially wearing the hat of the business owner and then wearing the hat of the, you know, one of the doctors, it can be really challenging. I would say that what recently I've just been doing a lot of is going back to thinking to myself, Like at the end of the day, when I'm laying on my deathbed, will this matter? 
you know, when you're, you're afraid of what a client's going to think about you, or you're afraid of getting a bad review, or, you know, a client's upset because they can't get an appointment, or, you know, any of those things that happen to us in the day that make us give in and don't hold those strong boundaries. It just comes back to what your priorities are. Like, is this going to matter at the end of the day? Because I think that we're all here for such a short time. It's just like a blink of the eye. You know, like I can't even imagine. It's been almost 15 years since I graduated vet school. And I just can't even believe that already. How did that happen? (laughs) Time just goes so fast. And I feel like there's so many things that I want to be able to say that I've done that staying really focused, laser focused on what those priorities are doesn't make it easy, but kind of allows those other things to slip into the background because it just doesn't matter at the end of the day. I think that's a very good point. Now, I love trying to find what our why is because that's that's the heart of what we do. It, it's not yeah. necessarily what, it's the why we do what we do. So, you know, I asked you also earlier what you were passionate about. And I think that is so neat that someone is dedicating efforts to get some more data behind the integrative approach, because I think we are trained to do that. You know, we're scientists, we we like data, we like proof <laughs> or something yeah. that we can use. And oh, goodness, I now that I'm thinking about it, you know, oncology, we, we don't, we're kind of limited in the information we even have on the traditional side. Right. But then also on the the integrative side, too, there, there's only so much information, especially with the, the species we're working with. So yeah. I would love for you to to share a little bit more about how you saw this was important and what you are doing currently on, you know, trying to get some more data despite some of the challenges. Yeah, I I, I am always happy to talk about this because I <laughs> think that it's a piece of education, which I always am happy to do because it's just something to me that's so important. So. In losing my father to cancer when I was 22, it was a very short battle that there was tons of suffering. And during that time, I just remember feeling so helpless because at that point, you know, I was an undergrad. I actually had just finished college. I was a biology major. So I knew enough about science and genetics to understand a lot, but I didn't know anything about medicine at that point to be able to help him. And once I fell down the rabbit hole in vet school of holistic and integrative modalities, I just had this total aha moment. And I think that it was in, I know it was in my sophomore year of vet school. And I think it was in like pharmacology class when I was like daydreaming. And I just had this total aha of, oh my God, if you put together these treatments for an oncology patient, their quality of life will be so much better. And I immediately found all of these things that back that up. Tons of research papers, tons of articles, so much in the traditional practices, because these modalities had been used for thousands and thousands and thousands of years alone before traditional chemotherapy came up. And then we forgot about all of them when the advent of antibiotics and conventional medication and chemotherapy came up. But if you look at traditional cultures, specifically like Chinese cultures and Indian cultures, where these old herbal traditions run deep, they do not allow patients to go through these toxic treatments without support. And so it just, the more and more I learned, the more and more it blew my mind 
that we had forgotten about all of these things that were so helpful for so long. And as I learned more and understood more and understood the politics more and researched more, you realize why that happens. And it's because these trials are very expensive and they need to be funded. They don't just come out of nowhere. They need to be done by people. They need to be created, the statistics, everything. And so generally speaking, that financing comes from a company that has a vested interest in the research, which usually is a pharmaceutical. And so when we're talking about non-patentable natural products, there's no money in that. And so it requires an outside-of-the-box thinking, just like all my patients do. They need that outside-of-the-box thinking to think about all of the other tools that we can use for them. And so it was just a natural thing for me to be thinking of other solutions than already exist. And I'm a very conventionally trained doctor. I had a very conventional residency. Just because I believe in all this other stuff doesn't mean I've forgotten about all of that. And so for me, and and in my experience, the best integrative and holistic mentors have always been the ones that have approached those non-traditional therapies with tons of questioning and tons of reservation, because that's how you really figure out the truth to all of it. And that's how I approach everything. You need to prove this to me, prove this to me, prove this to me. And the further down the rabbit hole I went, the more I found and the more I knew how much is there if it could be spoken in the correct language. And so one of the biggest hurdles for a lot of these modalities is the people who are practicing them are speaking them in the language of that tradition. And when we talk about our conventional trained doctors and our specialists, they're like, what are you talking about? That makes no sense to me. So when you have someone who's bilingual and they can use that traditional language with the traditionalists and they can use the science with the conventionalists, you're talking about the same thing. You're just speaking different languages. And so it became obvious to me that it's not about them or, or us. We're all doing and want the same thing. We just can't communicate with one another. And so the language of communication for our scientific community, for the funding, is in the conventional research and in the data. And so the beautiful part for me and the reason this is my why and this is my mission is that animals are spontaneous models of cancer that are like canaries in the coal mine. They get cancer rates at the same, if not higher, than people do. They get the same ones in our same environments, and they act very similarly to they do in people. And so instead of us going around trying to make a difference in human cancer treatments by studying lab rats and mice that are injected with tumor cells, we need to look at these dogs and cats that get them in our environments. And why not allow these research experiments, these projects, that show that they're effective, show that they're safe, show that they prove efficacy to quality of life and quantity of life to serve as foundations for it to be done in people too. Because at the end of the, of the day, that bond that we have with these dogs and these cats or horses or whatever kind of person you are and what animal you're bonded to, that bond is so powerful. It will allow us to do anything for the loved ones that we have. And that's why as veterinarians, we do what we do. And I can feel like my eyes welling up because it's just so profound, that love that we have for them. And so why not allow that love and that bond and that mission that we're here for also make all of our lives better too. We 
we would like to thank our sponsor, VetBadger, the all-in-one practice management software that puts relationships first. Created by working veterinary parents, VetBadger provides all the communication, team workflow, and medical management tools you need to run an efficient practice and get home to the relationships that matter most. In support of parents in VetMed, VetBadger will be offering a signed copy of the book, Pregnancy and Postpartum Considerations for the Veterinary Team by Emily Singler to everyone who registers for a demo between Mother's Day, May 12th, and Father's Day, June 16th. To register, visit VetBadger.com and find the link in the description below. Oh, wow. And this is not so warm and fuzzy, but back to the the funding part is that when you can tie it to a human problem as well, you might be able to get more funding for Absolutely. it. And, and so not only are you, you helping across the board, but you, you might also be able to get that funding for it as well, which you're right. I think earlier you, you made the example about on the nutrition side, a lot of times it's the funding is coming from a, a big pet food companies because it is expensive and, you know, somebody's going to have something in the game to be able to put forth the money. So I I think that is is spot on. So what are some of the examples uh, of work that you're doing or or maybe some of these people that you've met who are maybe jumping in and and some of the different cancers maybe that you're helping any, any stories, stories are helpful. Yeah. We, um, we have filed for official nonprofit status And so in the near future, I hope to have many more of these trials now that we have a nonprofit that can receive grants and funding. But in the meantime, we've been creating a few projects and I've worked on a few that I would love to share because it just shows how really honestly easy these things are to do. So there's a urban supplement company that is on the human side and the founder of the company is very well known for treating cancer. He's done it a very, very, very long time and he's gotten so much success, but he hasn't been able to get anything published. And so we approached each other because we knew that there would be a mutual benefit. So the trial that we're putting together with his company is specifically for dogs with lymphoma because the type of lymphoma that's most common in dogs is the a kind that's very similar to people, the type that young people actually get And the chemotherapy protocol is exactly the same with the exception of one drug that they have in humans that we have not found useful in animals. And really that's the standard of care. And in veterinary oncology, we have not made any advances in that. And I think like 25 years or something. So it is taking this herbal protocol that he has and we are, it's going to be clients that have declined chemotherapy. and. They're all going to be allowed to get steroids because we know the survival time and the effectiveness of that. But one group will get placebo and the other group will get this herbal protocol. And so what we're going to do is we're going to monitor, obviously, the response of their lymph nodes to the prednisone and the placebo or the herbal protocol, their quality of life, but then also their quantity of life. Because we know how long they're expected to live if we just treat them with steroids. So we can compare that to how long they live when they're also treated with this herbal protocol. because. Despite the fact that we know the chemotherapy works, it's not always right for everybody. 
Sometimes people can't afford it. Sometimes the pet is too sick and the side effects are not tolerable. Sometimes the client just really knows that it's not the right thing to do for their animal if they're very high stress or coming to the veterinarian, it's very bad for them or if they're highly aggressive. You know, those are all reasons that clients have declined it in the past for me. So if we prove, which I feel strongly that we will, that there's benefit, it's going to be another tool in our toolbox that we have to offer these people. One of the things that I... When I try to explain the difference of cancer in people and then the cancer in pets is that often the end goals or or the the main main goals are could be slightly different. So for yeah. people, it is we are trying to get life, like length of life. And a lot of times that doesn't look so good yeah. um, to get there. But then with yep. pets, we're thinking a lot around quality of life instead of quantity. Has that come up at all when you're you're trying to sometimes pair these treatment plans when it comes to pets and people? I think that there's always a lot of education about what the goals are. And I think what I feel most grateful for is that I am a veterinary oncologist and not a human oncologist, because the reality of the situation is that you don't get to prioritize quality of life. That's not what you're prioritizing. It's just like what you said. It's about quantity or bust, regardless of what that quality will look like. And the very sad reality is, I often wonder, my father included, if you knew, if you could fast forward to the end and you would say, you're only going to get eight months and it's going to be shit the whole time versus you know, you getting six months or maybe more, who knows, with no treatment, which would you pick? And most people, if they could see into the future, would pick not to. Because who would choose that? The problem is, is that we can't see into the future. And so what I'm so grateful for is that we get to have those conversations, that we only move forward if the quality is there. If the quality goes away, we stop. And that's something that most oncologists are on the same page about. There's a lot of us that are willing to be aggressive if we think that it's the right choice, and we will be, and and it will be worth it. But we always get to prioritize quality. But the thing about bringing in the integrative aspect and the holistic aspect is that is always the primary and you don't have to worry about the other one. You don't have to worry about sacrificing quality of life to get quantity. That's just what it is the best at doing. And so the shift in pain and in clients shifting their target goal from cure or for from quantity to quality is an education piece because that's conventionally what we understand and we believe. But the reality of the situation, and in my experience after doing this for many years now, is that oftentimes if you do pull away that shift from cure at all costs to quality of life, they often will live longer. Their cancer is not going to be gone. Their cancer is not going to go away. Their cancer may continue to progress, but because you're able to mitigate the GI symptoms, the lethargy, the inflammation, the immune system dysfunction, they often can live longer with disseminated cancer. And so it's allowing them to focus on 
their pet just in front of them versus the imaging studies, the diagnostics tests, the blood work, the blood work results. And so that's the part that I think is really challenging for all of us to mm-hmm. kind of appreciate. As you're you're talking about this, I'm even I'm reflecting back even from personal example. There's what we've had one recently, but you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And and so these stories come up on these podcasts about you, they got the cancer diagnosis and their doctor at the time gives pretty grim, you know, outcomes and they focus mainly on on chemotherapy options. But, you know, maybe that extra tool belt that, you know, you get to bring with the integrative approach, you know, a lot of these people, they, they heard that from one doctor, but then they're, they're like, mm, let, let's go. <laughs> what else do we have? And they find people with more op- options. And a lot of times they do well. And then, you know, our, our personal example, my husband's very uh, close friend, he got diagnosed with cancer. They tried chemo and he, it just, it was miserable. He, he, was not doing well, both, I think, just from feeling terrible, but also it just, it wasn't combating. And, and the way they described it was, you know, he, he kind of gave up. And, and I think when you are able to address the, the quality part of life, it's like you, it gives them that extra fight to, to conquer, I think, what they're dealing with. And, so I think this is such a huge, huge thing that you are yeah. doing. And the fact, like you said, that, that there's that crossover that we're able to help with the the human medicine as well. Yay, One Health. Yeah. <laughs> bringing that in. That's fantastic. Have you been able, since you are you know, partnering with the human health side, have you gotten to to talk with the human patients as well? Or, or do you just kind of meet and cross notes? How does How does that work? I have not done much with the human patients yet. I think that probably for all of time, that'll just be something that's really hard for me, my personal loss. But I get to talk with the human practitioners all the time. And I go to all the human conferences now because, you know, at one point I kind of was like, all right, well, this is all the veterinary conferences that have the integrative stuff. (laughs) So it's time to move on to the human ones because there's none left that, uh, you know, are are kind of fulfilling all my interests that I have in different things. And, you know, they just think it's the coolest thing because a lot of them are pet parents Mm -hmm. and, you know, dog and cat moms. And as integrative and functional medicine practitioners themselves, you know, they know all these tools exist. And they're like, well, why don't they exist for my dogs? Why don't they exist for my cats? Why don't they exist for my horses? They also think it's really cool because if you're an animal lover, you're an animal lover and you know about that bond and you know how powerful it is and you know how much it can help do so many things. And so when I've met people, he used to be the head of Memorial Sloan Kettering's Integrative Center and he, I believe he's at Dana-Farber now. I met him in my residency when I was at Penn because he was at Penn's Integrative Center at that time. And I shadowed him on one of my like wild card months that I had to shadow, you know, whatever facility I wanted. And when I told him that I was doing this acupuncture trial for dogs that had lymphoma, um, and this was an older one, not the one I was just talking about, he just got so excited because he had been trying to get funding for his acupuncture trial for people with cancer for years and he couldn't get anything. And he was like, if I could show them this paper, if I could show them this research, I can do so much more good for for humans. So I think that the human practitioners really get it 
you know, and they, they know that they have these tools available for people and they love their animals and they want to see the same thing. And the very sad reality is that the cancer rates are skyrocketing. They're skyrocketing in humans under 50. The most recent, it wasn't a published paper, but it was a huge survey study that was done on like, is it like 20,000 dogs? It was a lot of dogs. And we found that the incident rates is five times that in people now. So it's skyrocketing in animals. And I'm not even going to get into what, what I think is going on and why it's happening. But the reality of the situation is that this is a huge problem and that they anticipate by, I think it's 2030, 50% of all humans will actively be cancering. 50% of all of us will just actively have cancer. That's how bad they anticipate it's going to be. And so for us to continue to do the same things that we've always done, which is not giving us the results that we need. It, we have not improved the overall outcome and mortality rate with cancer greater than 20% since the war on cancer started in 1950. And that 20% is believed to be due to us finally understanding that smoking's bad. Wow. So we have done nothing to shift the needle. We have to do something different. I'm so excited that you are. And if there are people who are uh, who want to refer someone to you, like a pet parent, to find these alternative treatments, or, or maybe they want to learn more about what you do and, and you know to learn more of these techniques, yeah. where could they go? So the time you? has come that we are finally doing education. We are launching on online communities because there's just such a need for this, and even you know, there's a lot of veterinarians who are interested in this too, but as you know, you can imagine, you're going to devote your life to this, right? And that's not everybody's goal. And so being able to help patients far and wide, even that maybe can't access a practitioner locally is something that the practice and knows we need to do and is part of my mission. So for our veterinary practice, the name is Prism Integrative Veterinary Health. So we're in New Jersey right now. You can follow us online. You can refer to us there. But you absolutely can follow me on social, Dr. Kendra Pope on Instagram, on Facebook. We are starting our first kind of beta cohort of veterinarians this fall for an integrative oncology course. And I hope that that becomes something that we do annually to really just train veterinarians how to handle these guys in a really evidence-informed, effective, high-level tailored way. And then we hope probably by October or November, we're going to create an online pet parent community so that we can just be educating and allowing them to know about what's safe, what's okay, what they should know more about, what maybe they shouldn't be doing more of, and just allow people to access information that's really collaborative with their veterinarian. Because we don't want to do is we don't want to create this like, my vet said no, so I'm doing it anyways. We want to lean into one another. So we want to create this environment and this community where we can just help empower people to have better conversations and better relationships with their veterinarians. Well, that sounds awfully like a nutrition as well. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, going off a, a certain direction. So, uh, well, thank you so much for what you do. Uh, I know we're at, at time. Can I ask you at least uh, one question? Yeah. To wrap us up. Yeah. So w what is something that you are most grateful for? Oh, God. I'm going to get emotional, which is fine because this stuff is so important despite the fact that I was such a daddy's girl and I hate losing my father, if it wasn't for him, I would never be on this path. 
Like it's all because of that love. And so I'm grateful that even though that had to happen, that now I get to like pour that into something else. And I know I'm going to leave the world a better place. And I found it because of it. This has been the Vet Life Reimagined podcast. Whether you are listening or watching on YouTube, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure you are subscribed to catch all these amazing people in our profession. Also, send this episode to someone you think who would appreciate it. Have a recommendation for someone who would be a good guest? Please reach out on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. There aren't that many Dr. Sprinkles. Until next time, Vet Lifers.